0: Hello and welcome to this Blackwell Online podcast. My name is George Miller and my guest today is Lucy Wadham, whose latest book is a work of non-fiction, looking behind the elegant facades of France, the country which has been her home for the past two decades. The book, The Secret Life of France, tackles everything from sex, marriage and child-rearing to France's sense of itself in the wider world and its place in history. Many Britons envy the French for their health and education systems, their food, wine and weather, their fast, punctual trains, and an attitude to life that seems more relaxed than on this side of the channel. So I said to Lucy it was surprising to read that France's suicide rate is over double that of the UK, and that use of antidepressants is much, much higher.
1: I was surprised by that myself, for the for the reasons it... You know you've pointed out the quality of life does seem better life seems easier in France in so many ways, but I think you know I sat down and tried to think about why you know why more people kill themselves in this in this place and I think the answer is not that life is harder but but more that the pain threshold is lower in France I mean this sounds like an incredibly sweeping statement, and in the book I try and explain this idea in depth, But I think that life on our quite grueling, windy island has sort of inured us to a sort of harshness in our daily lives. And we're used to sort of grappling with the struggle of, of existence in a way perhaps that the French are not. And I think they don't do suffering very well. And I suppose that one of the things that occurred to me when I was writing this book was why my own parents' generation, particularly my father, was so tough on the French when it came to their war record, for instance. You know, and yeah. the cliche about the French surrendering in five minutes. And, and I think that we in Britain have a, almost have a taste for suffering and an affinity with it that the French don't have. And that in some way goes towards explaining why people give in to the temptation of antidepressants. And mm. why, indeed, doctors prescribe them very, very easily. Um, I think the feeling is that we are a, a culture wedded to, to pleasure rather than duty and sacrifice. And therefore, we should be allowed to make our lives pleasurable. And that means that if you are having a bad time, and if if life is a struggle, perhaps you will, you'll use antidepressants more
0: easily. Mm. I thought it was very interesting what you said about... France and tragedy as though they have a sort of sense of the tragic, which is in contrast to the British sense of the comic and, you know, sometimes the, the black comic, blackly comic, but in a way that sort of is a mechanism which helps the British to cope. But you suggest that in France, unless one's tragedy is a, is a grand tragedy, then you sort of feel humiliated and crushed almost.
1: Yes. I mean, the, the, the tragic register is intrinsically sort of grandiose, isn't it? You, mm. It's not about drudgery, it's about suffering on a grand scale. And, you know, if you think of French cinema and the subjects that they keep returning to, you know, romantic suffering is, is a favorite, then you realize that, that those are the things that they do very well and those are the subjects that they keep returning to. Their great heroes in history are people who, who fail on a grand scale, Joan of Arc and and Napoleon, and and those people are sort of, and even you know, sort of more recently, and on a on a less grand scale, sort of Zidane, you know that that yeah. they love they love people who fail with with great panache.
0: I mentioned at the start the edu- education was one of the things that many British people envy in in the French and. Your book makes clear that, that that comes at a price, and the French education system is very interventionist and sort of normalising in its approach to, to what it produces.
1: It is. I put uh, two children, a son and a daughter, through the French education system, and you know, my daughter was naturally suited to it, fitted very, very well, and responded very positively to quite a demanding, very academic program, whereas my son at it and struggled against it really all through his childhood. But the bizarre thing is that even though I remain quite critical of that, he, who's now in his fifth year at university doing a master's in philosophy, Mm. swears by it and feels that, you know, his argument is, you know, if he hadn't had that sort of rigor if he, he hadn't been bludgeoned in a way mm. in that way he would have given up and he feels that he's reaped the rewards because he was held to the task
0: but i was quite struck by the fact that um at nursery school level they wanted to bring in the child psychologist because he, he was still drawing stick men at an age when you know he, when he was thought of you know we ought to be beyond that. And it seemed that there was very interventionist in that way that the, that the psychologists, the Freudian analysts, were were brought in at the drop of a hat, really, if a child seemed not to be meeting the attainment targets that were prescribed for it.
1: Yeah, but I mean, one of the things about you know French society is that it is very normalising. It's one of the paradoxes of the republic and the idea of the public of the republic as ha- having its roots in a kind of the construction of an ideal society for, for men, for mm. mankind, mm. rather. And the legacy of that is a habit of normalization. So if, in the case of, of my little boy, at the age of four, he's not drawing um, stick men with bodies, the school teacher, there'll be a kind of, there's a system, a sort of alert system, and the light will go on, and they'll say... He's doing tadpole men, and he's for better look out. And this led to a whole kind of, there was a sort of ripple effect, and the, mm. the school psychiatrist was called in, and they began to talk about him having masochistic tendencies. And I was, I was appalled at this sort of interventionism and, mm. and quite alarmed by it. And yet, you know, they, they felt that they were, you know, providing a service and helping mm. me. And I struggled with that a lot, and I think the reason for that is, and particularly, you know, the, the school psychiatrist is invariably Freudian, and Freud had a huge influence on on French culture and society. Sort of from the mid 60s, particularly after May 1968, he was sort of latched onto by the intelligentsia as having the answers to all kinds of problems. And I think that the attraction was a, a sort of all-consuming theory that obviously includes the, the libido and explains the pleasure principle. And it just fitted perfectly with, you know, most of, of France's cultural tendencies, including her Catholic legacy.
0: Tell me, Lucy, why your French-educated children were shocked when you asked them, are there any Muslims in your class?
1: They were shocked because you are, it, it's rude to refer to somebody's ethnicity in France. It's rude to mention the fact that they belong to an ethnic minority. Because the myth of equality is so important and so ingrained, you don't refer to what separates you from the main body. And when I pointed out to them that you know, it's only if, if you see being Muslim as a stigma, that it becomes offensive to mention it, they said no, no it's not that it 's just that a French Muslim wants to be French first, and therefore, if you refer to their religion then you're you're shutting them out from the from the republican dream
0: and that's that's an ideal which is really unquestionable isn't it that that one must integrate one must be french one must speak perfect french that must come first one must espouse all those those republican uh, values
1: yes and it's there's a consensus right right across you know left and right in france that the british model which allows immigrant communities to sort of integrate at their own pace and continue to speak their own language at school to continue to practice their customs that is seen as an anti-model. It's seen as a flawed and not desirable at all. I mean, I met Rashida Dati, who is, you might remember, is one of Sarkozy's former ministers, and she's of Moroccan origin. And, you know, I asked her about the whole question of positive discrimination. And she just, she basically said, you know, the British have, have not understood that, you know, what, what we need is, the, the French model is, all about a community of ideas values and language we need to all move forward with the same dream and the same idea
0: but that's very difficult in a society as you describe it which is very hierarchized very conservative where you know it's not easy to break into you know to get a place at one of the grandes écoles or something like that it's you know that that illusion of of transparency and easy mobility is is indeed an illusion isn't it
1: there's a huge gap between the idea and the reality that, it, that becomes more and more of a strain every day. You know, when we see explosions in the suburbs every sort of five or ten years in France, it's that tension that's at the root of it. And the French won't call them race riots, but that's what they are, you know, mm. clearly. And at some point, France will have to, to face that problem
0: the anglo-saxon model as it's called is is very much you know a pejorative term in france and america is the great bogeyman in many ways and you know espouses values of of consumerism and materialism which the french reject and yet you see signs of change you see you know with sarkozy's presidency you identify a shift very much in that direction towards that materialistic go-getting work ethic celebrity type of culture that france has thus far resisted
1: yeah, there are there are signs of change. It's interesting because Sarkozy, having sort of got in on that ticket on a sort of rather Anglo-Saxon program, where you know he put the business of of hard work and making money at the centre of his campaign, and people went for it. Having done that, he's now particularly in the face of the recession, sort of slightly distanced himself from that, and he's basically sort of embracing his sort of Jacobin political origins, you know, mm. he's the belief in the strong state, massive public spending and projects and, you know, the state is a sort of motor um, for recovery. And so I think that this sort of mutation um, towards a sort of more Anglo-Saxon approach is sort of inevitable. But at the same time, because of what's happened recently, there's been a kind of shift against it. I I just feel you just have a sense that you kind of wonder how long France will hold out, um, will hold back from sort of fully blown consumerism, for example, Mm. which she does.
0: You say at the end of the book that Mm. you have gone through a love-hate relationship with the country and you still, to this day love it and despise it in equal measure but you have you have chosen to settle there you you don't envisage coming back to the uk so you know when when all is said and done and the balance is sort of um weighed up you you see yourself as as belonging in france in some way
1: i do i mean i don't know how much of that is is linked to the fact that my children are there i mean i'm sure you know, I have grown up children of 23 and 21. Mm. Their hearts are there, so I can't really separate my love of the place from from that. But I think having having been in 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 Britain for for a month, which I have not done for a long time, I feel I feel a kind of constraint that I don't feel in France, and I I think that may have something to do with simply the experience of being in a foreign culture, which once you've got over the shock of it, becomes second nature and it becomes a source of pleasure to be on the outside, to be Mm. slightly removed. And I, I would find it very difficult to let that go, that feeling.